Welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Samuel Roberts and I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined today by Angus Morrison, staff writer, Phil Savage, hangover editor, <laughs> Andy Kelly, uh, section editor. I thought you were going to say tangled up like a motherfucker, <laughs> which is what Andy said shortly before we started recording. I have, there's wires everywhere snaking around my every limb. These yes. are our roles now. Um, yeah, so uh, good, good. Uh, so we're here today to talk about some computer games, which is what we normally do. Yeah. Uh, and we've got some good ones lined up this week. Uh, and a few embargoes have lifted. We've been reviewing some stuff. And, uh, yeah, we're going to kick off with Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which is actually something that I played at DICE a couple of weeks ago, the upcoming closed beta, which is launching on a date that I haven't written down, um, but soonish, which is very, very good. Is that a multiplayer beta? or no, Not really, no. It's like um, maybe maybe you guys should, like, turn host and ask me some questions, and that would okay. be the best way of doing it. What yeah, do so what the dinner beta, then, it, is it going to be a multiplayer mode, or is it, like, a single-player level for you to get used to the free-running or whatever? No, it's, it's, like a, it's like a big slab of the single-player. Oh, um, right. So it was basically at the opening environment, which I think is about a quarter to a fifth of the overall uh, open world that they've built in the game. And uh, there was like a few story missions, including ones that we've seen in like uh, previous uh, reveals for the game, mm-hmm. like a level set in a big green tower owned by some corporation that you've got to escape out of, and it's uh, when loads of troops arrive. And uh, yeah, and it, it's it's a, it's a bit different, I guess, for a, a beta, your standard beta. Um, but uh, yeah, there's the multiplayer stuff isn't really multiplayer stuff as such. It's more of like a leaderboard challengey thing. Um, yeah. Which are, oh, so it, like the time trials in the original Mirror's Edge, but seeded into the game itself. Yeah, and so there's there's some that are um are actually part of the world that Dice has created and that everyone can have a go at. So mm. you'll just see like little spots of them pop up on the map, and you can go up to them and just do them if you want to. When you say there's some that Dice have created, does that mean you, you can set your own time trial? Yes, you routes? can. Um, so that's that's one of the best things about uh, Catalyst is obviously it's an open world game now, uh, and it's not open world in the sense that GTA is. It's uh, it's like a series of playgrounds yeah it's like a series of uh, like playgrounds on on top of rooftops and like it it, it, it is open and, and you'll run across the same spaces again and again mm-hmm. but um instead of being tunnel shaped levels they've built it to be ran at from all directions so there's uh, a lot of longevity in being in like one place okay, cool. um and yes you can create your own time trials um and so what you do is you uh you just you just hit one button um you create you you, you do set time trial you start the point where you want to and at your own pace um, you go through the world, uh, dropping checkpoints, uh, outlining where you want the race to be. And then once you've done that, uh, you can uh, finish up and name... You can't do it in the, in the closed beta, but in the finished game, you'll be able to name your time trial. So if you want to call it the Deathbringer or, you know... Or Twisted Up Like a Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, or, jo- or Jogging 2000 or something. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can do that. And jogging it, Y2K. But it, it, it really... It, it really is amazing. Like um, you, you might think that time trial, when you hear that, doesn't sound that exciting. But the the element of creating something yourself uh, and then seeing what other players will do within it. Um, each one has its own leaderboard. So if you create a race and then once you finish creating it, you you run through it, set a time, and then someone else beats that time. Yeah, it's that's suddenly a very different experience to anything that the first uh, Mirror's Edge offered. Um, I remember doing the time trials 
in the first one. And, I mean, it was fun enough, like, shaving the milliseconds off, but they were really easy to cheat at. So you watch someone else's ghost sort of just levitating across the map while you were busy trying to sprint between walls. It's, That's like true. like custom ones could uh, solve it. You still have ghosts, so you, you, mm. you do still learn from that from what they do. But I, I think there's enough in the, um, the kind of, like, uh, skill set of, of faith that you can... You can still work out your own strategies for shaving time off. Like, um, I found that I was getting ahead of the ghost on like half of one of the races I created. But um, at the end, there was this wall run that I couldn't quite nail the angle of. Um, and uh, I, I looked exactly where the ghost ran. And the next time I did the run, I followed it exactly. And then I got back to the top of the leaderboard. And so it's then on someone else to figure out what I did and figure out how they can shave more time off of it. And I, I think there's enough depth to that that it, it supports leaderboards and such. With leaderboards, if you really get into it, what you usually tend to get into is leaderboard challenges against friends rather than just against the entire world. Which, yeah, which is another thing I should say about Catalyst is you, you can publish your time trials uh, that you created uh, to the world or you can just share them specifically with friends okay. and have them private, um, which I think is a really good idea because mm. I'm not interested in what a speedrunner will do in, in my own races. But yeah, I mean, I'll only have a look at what my friends' times are because trying to be the best at the world at something is an exercise in madness and as you point out usually with leaderboards what that means is you're trying to beat some cheating bastard who's hacked yeah. the game. I but found I heard some danger words in the, the social play trailer about uh, a social profile is that an actual Facebook thing like Battlelog? Um, I think they have like a companion app and, and that will be part yeah. of it um, when, you, when you hear social profile like that, it sounds like something like, I don't know, that the FBI keeps yeah, on like you. like a file you'd set. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got a folder yeah. on you. It's yeah, it's got like my most uh, you know illegal tweets. So whenever I tweet about like emulating an N64 game, allegedly, they, uh, they they keep that in a file somewhere. Peter Moore can just pull out, <laughs> open, a, open a filing cabinet, pull out a folder, and it will just say shit at wall jumping. <laughs> well, I'm outside of the free running stuff, hmm. um, Maybe this is a good opportunity for you to put my mind at ease about a couple of things that I know a lot of other people have concerns about. Yeah, which you so, could have read my preview, Andy. Yeah, but and you would have known all this. By <laughs> yeah, now. but this is for the podcast listeners who may not read the feature. Yeah, it's, it's which true. You've definitely done. I mean, the, yeah. the the excellent thing that Phil did when he said, "Aren't there some uh, user-generated time trials thing?" Is he knew full well that they were in the ah, game. Yeah. But for the purposes of the podcast, he was teeing it up. Uh, well, like, I'm, like he didn't I'm approaching. Know. Don't break the magic. Don't break down this fourth wall. <laughs> I'm. Representing the everyman here, the normal, the normal person on the street with concerns. Your doctor, not his companion. Well, yeah, it will not hit. someone who's read the um, the preview. I'm, I'm representing real people here. Well, hit real me people with, who can't read. Hit yeah. me with your your best questions, well, David Frost. <laughs> well, I heard two things that concerned me in the original Mirror's Edge. It, I never skip cutscenes in games ever. Mm -hmm. Like it pains me to do so, but Mirror's Edge is the only game I've ever skipped cutscenes. And I heard that there's more story focus in this one, and that gives me the fear. Um, I, I would say there's about as much uh, story in it as the first game had uh, in terms of how much time you spend, you know, uh, having story stuff go on. Uh, they don't, they've done proper cutscenes this time. It's an engine now, isn't it? It's it is an engine. Weird it, comic and stuff. It, it, looks, it looks nice, and I, I said this in the preview. I, I, I think it's still rubbish. Um, <laughs> which I, I, feel, I feel bad for saying that because DICE has clearly tried to make uh, a, a better sort of like uh, dystopian storyline for it and, make, and you know, there's better voice acting in the... It's sort of like, I don't know, like watching a two-star TV show. The dialogue's yeah. like, it's, it's refined and the production values are good, but my God, I don't care. Even in the preview I played at Gamescom last year, the first cut scene we saw, it just introduced to this fingerless 
glove douchebag who is an asshole like yes, you, there's and it's just like, I hate you, there are, I hate there are, everybody. There are men with haircuts and beanie hats, and mm. so that raises red flags straight away. Yeah. Um, but like the, the, the main problem is, it, I've always felt like Mirror's Edge, the, the story that you need to know about that game is all told in the art direction, like... The way that city looks is what is all you need to know, yeah. and, and I what think you're doing as well. And it doesn't even matter what you're delivering, does it? No, Not that actually does Faith actually even deliver anything in the in the in the original? Uh, That's kind of her job, and then she's caught in something else. She, well, she delivers yeah. one package, yeah, and that goes wrong. She fetches secret packages out of like, uh, <laughs> yeah. but then she doesn't take them anywhere. She take them anywhere. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> she just puts them in a bottomless pocket. <laughs> From the art direction, it just looks like quite a nice place to live. I don't know about this well, dystopian future. Oh, but no, it feels like um, too clean, you know. And so like, that's the uh, idea. It's really sterile and mm. there's no personality. Yeah, but uh, but there is so much personality in it, in a yeah. way, you know. So it's a, it's a very clever well, thing they did. The other concern, uh, something came out, it was a quote from a dev or something, was that um, it, was, it, was, it could have been either misquote or something worded badly, but there was some talk about the city being less stylized to make the story feel more real. And I saw that and went, oh. Well, I don't think. I, I mean, How does it look like stylistically? Have they, cha- have they changed the art style in any noticeable way? Well, or? no. The, the, the area that I saw was very much uh, had the same sort of color scheme and kind of like, uh, you know, elements of layout as the, the opening few levels of the first game. So it's all primary colours and yeah, like white, whites and, and blues, and you know, if you turn yeah. on Runner Vision red, it looks like Mirror's Edge. But that, that's only one of the um, the the parts of the game that you see, and like there are different colour palettes and different uh, areas that I haven't seen yet. But I know that one of the guys on Edge has seen that, and like it, you know, there, there's more to the world out there. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that there's uh, accessing those other parts of the world is sort of is gated by the story so it'll, it'll open up more environments as further oh, okay. you go so it's like a mag rope thing in this one where you could see a few like security cameras sort of like suspended on like cables and stuff that you're clearly meant to use those uh, use like a mag rope to attach to them and then swing over to a new place that's there's also Tomb Raider-esque gear gating yeah, sort of thing yeah a little mm. bit I don't, I don't think there's going to be loads of that but just you know enough and then which I think is a good idea because uh, it was about to open up into a new area. The next mission was the one where you get the mag rope at the end of what I played. And that took about three hours to. Well, it took about two hours to get to to that point. So clearly, from there, a new environment was about to open up, and uh, it kind of works in terms of pacing because I'd probably seen just enough of that open world hub at the start to sit to want to see new stuff. Um, so pacing wise, I think it'll work fine. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not too worried about the the lack of variety. The, the, the thing I'm worried about is if they've got enough real estate that it doesn't yeah. feel too repetitive uh, to yeah. run across it and, and there'll be reasons to, to still want to be there like hours later Samuel, I've heard from the website twitter.com yes. that there is an unlock path and your skills are gated behind XP yeah, this question. this uh, this annoyed me uh, actually. Yeah, uh, because the the thing spreading is this is bullshit. There's um, all these upgrades and stuff. That it sounds like hot bullshit that I should take <laughs> to my local social media and complain about. It's specifically the thing about raising your legs to jump over, um, to sort of tuck tuck yourself up yeah. and get over things you jump over, which was like a basic ability. And this is now part of an upgrade tree. So I can see why I think people are justified and. Um, as you're going to explain, it's not all it seems, but I think the the reaction is why are they, why is there an unlock for a skill that is just a basic tool? I, I see. Yeah. The other thing is, I definitely explained this in my preview um, because I asked <laughs> I asked Dice about it. I said, was this an attempt to sort of ease new players into it who haven't played Mirror's Edge before? And let's face it, I mean, Mirror's Edge came out like seven and a half years ago, so 
people coming to this might not remember exactly how everything works. But then when know? people played the first Mirror's Edge, they just figured you figured it out. So, but there was a lot of complaints about accessibility of the first Mirror's Edge. You had yeah. just had that tutorial, and then there was a lot to learn, and it was quite a hard game. So yeah. people didn't necessarily feel like they got it and had to do a lot of trial and error to understand what it was about. You told and, me, didn't you, that it, you unlock that within like an hour. So people are thinking it's maybe a thing you unlock four hours down the line. It's yeah. not the case. Well, there's three abilities from the first game that you have to unlock, and they are it's the spinning 180 degrees by tapping the bumper um, mm -hmm. or you know uh, another button on the keyboard which I can't remember and um, there's also the, uh, the the saving roll when you fall off like a high surface and onto the floor and you roll to keep the momentum going that's something you have to unlock too but again you get all that within the hour and like the, that fir that first hour is basically just spent relearning what mirror's edge is anyway and the idea yeah. is that that people unlock these one by one and and it explains oh this does this and so you, if you're a new player, you learn how to do that, and so, and then you do that for each ability, and then the idea is that by the end of maybe that first hour, you understand exactly what it yeah. is, and you're still playing the game while you're doing it, and you're not, it's not all dropped into a tutorial. I think it's really good, and like once once you've done that, it's 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 the same Mirror's Edge, but in an yeah. open world. That like. sounds fine. I think people are imagining like, oh, you you've got like yeah, a skill point. What do you spend on? You the, see the an XP tree, a, and you see yeah. like a standard feature at the end of a branching path. You think, oh, well, that's ten hours of play, yeah. or whatever. And I, I asked Dice about it as well because I think that that people thought that meant that every ability you unlock in the game, you unlock one by one. But because right. um, the upgrade tree has a bunch of squares that are filled in. But those um, those squares are, are just your basic abilities that you start with. I asked okay, him. Yeah. It's like you start with what was in the closed beta, and then you layer all these other stuff on top of it. And so once you've done that, all the upgrades are, are more specifically about uh, like uh, other elements you can build upon. So you get like this mag rope upgrades. So you like you have like gear upgrades. Um, you can do like combat moves that do uh, more damage against specific types of enemies, and that's what the upgrade tree is really for. But um, people decided to go crazy about it on Twitter before actually reading what it was. Um, but no, that, that doesn't sound like Twitter. Yeah, what are you, <laughs> what are you outrage? Accusing, what well, are you the, the thing is, this is one of those very few occasions where, like, I, I, I'm I'm really like on the dev side with this because they've totally preserved what Mirror's Edge is, even though Mirror's Edge was kind of contentious and not everyone got it. They, the platforming, they mm. absolutely knew they'd nailed it, so they've kept that and they've just tried to find ways to reintroduce it to people. But in no way has it become streamlined. Um, and and yeah, and whereas like games like Assassin's Creed, you can do all the platforming by holding down a trigger. It's yeah. like, come on! I mean, they've kept Mirror's Edge as it is, and that's two it. triggers now. It's one to go up and one to go down, <laughs> and yeah, somehow that's, that's even worse than the original system. I should also say I feel quite bad for picking on Assassin's Creed because I think I I think I I always pick that as my uh, example of well, this does it in Isn't a way that's way target. too simple. Yeah, and so that admittedly uh, hacks me off a little bit, but um, it, it's. It's definitely still Mirror's Edge, and the stuff they've actually yeah. tweaked is uh, is kind of like more combat focused, and <clears throat> they've tried with the story, even if I I don't think feel like they've succeeded based on what I've played. But I, I admittedly did go into it with a preconception of Mirror's Edge had bad story before. Like these, this guy has like a fingerless gloves. I'm not sure I'm on board with this, you know. So you say they've tried with the combat as well. Have they succeeded with that more than say the story? Um, I think so. Um, but then I I, I you do liked the combat from the first Mirror's Edge, didn't you? Yeah, so I did. Uh, I did. I, I admittedly think that I could see why people wanted the guns gone, right? Mm. Because it's a game about maintaining momentum, and you have these bits where you sort of these combat sandboxes where you stop and then you disarm someone, shoot them, and it, there wasn't a lot of depth to it. Um, and like I, I do like I, I think what they've got here is better. Yeah, it's too early for me to make a call on 
on how good it like how good it sort of holds up but you have two variants on a combat system so you have a momentum bar on the hud that if you're running at full speed when you see an enemy if you hit the attack button you'll just knock them out straight away and you can do that with rows of enemies and you feel like a superhero just punch 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 they're they're gone just a you know a row of them but there are there's a another variation where uh you'll be in like close quarters with enemies mm. and so you might have like four troops and and you you aren't running at full speed you're in like a more enclosed space and in that you've got this uh this revamped melee system where you can do like a dodge move in all directions so if an enemy attacks you you just like jump back and then you can jump forward and kick them uh and the you, you can do directional kicks as well so you can make a move an enemy move left or right and the idea is you can kick them off buildings and stuff kick them into each other and it's much more about uh be, being being ta- <laughs> but like you're controlling the space uh, of yeah. of the fight and and that itself adds a little bit more depth than what they had before which was basically run into an enemy sliding kick uh, then then a uh, normal kick and then they're out straight away mm. or you just get shot dead yeah. uh, and so i think i think that's a, a really smart way of uh, revamping the combat in the game yeah but um no it's 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 really cool and really impressive and the fact they've made a Mirror's Edge game that still feels like Mirror's Edge is really exciting to me mm. and I don't think people have got any reason to worry and this this user generated time trial stuff is is really ambitious I think and and really good fun like you could this you could see yourself playing this game for like you know maybe 20 or 30 hours and that's pretty cool you yeah. know yeah, yeah I, I was never expecting to see a second one full stop so I'll take what I can get yeah yeah, and I, 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 I honestly thought it was one of those true originals, Mirror's Edge, and like it's such a weird game for EA to be making, but um, even for Dice to be making, yeah, yeah, like because the, they love guns, they love guns, and they love games that sell like ten million units. <laughs> so this is one that will sell like three, you know, or, or two or something. Um, them. But they, they, they do want to make another one after this. Like they're actually okay. uh, part of their thing with the story is they're trying to build a law so like they My can tell. Yeah, I know, I know. Mirror's um, Edge law. <laughs> Not well, everything needs law. Some things can just be, uh, be about roofs. I'll say one thing. On roofs. One thing I, I hope they do that I, I really liked in the first game was that the DLC for the first game were those time trial oh, maps. Set in abstract. Those, yeah, those weirdly coloured, yeah. like um, almost look like a, a VR space or something from Zone of the Enders. These really weird, like stark, uh, kind of like, yeah, yeah almost VR like environments. And. Uh, that none of that. There's no hint of that so far, but um, that sort of thing would be a would be a cool addition to yeah. the DLC and such. Uh, but yeah, that's Mirror's Edge. Any any more questions about it from you guys? Are you excited to find out about the origins of Faith? No, um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not in like. Uh, I feel she bad. She was such a nuanced character, it. wasn't she? But uh, don't you think it, she'd be so much more engaging if you just like never knew what her deal was, and she was kind of um, it, the reason why she was running and why she was doing whatever she was doing. That that was ambiguous, and you yeah. you just had her running through these stark environments, um, you know, facing these kind of like soldiers who are trying to hunt her down or whatever. And all you, yeah, all you yeah, know it, about her is what you play as. It her, seems like, yeah. the concept of being somebody who delivers highly sensitive information illegally is more interesting than why would somebody do this? Yeah, someone's doing yeah. it. I can accept that as a story. Somebody decided to do this. I don't. I don't need. I There's, don't need that filling in. I don't the, need a game's worth of story yeah. to fill that. There's also like a, a, a character who Faith owes money to, I believe, um, called Dogen, um, which is uncomfortably close to Dogie. Because like, if you see it written down, you're like, oh, Dogie. He's basically called Dogie. Dogen. Isn't he? That's like one of the characters from Psychonauts, the little lad that wears a tinfoil hat. Yeah. Is it oh, him? Right. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I've not met him yet, so there's a very good chance could it be. could be. You know? um, but no, that's that's Mirror's Edge Catalyst, and I, I 
I, it's the most excited I've been about an EA game for years, actually. That's like, um, yeah, I, I really think it's uh, it's promising. I hope it doesn't let me down. Mm. I hope the rest of the world is uh, as interesting as that opening area. Uh, but yes, that uh, is Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Uh, the next game we're going to talk about is Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, uh, which was formerly a PS4 exclusive, inverted commas, that has uh, now come to PC. Uh, it runs at 1080p, 60 frames per second, uh, and also 4K support. Is that right, Andy? Yeah, I was playing it in 4K, but the, on a 970, the frame rate was no good. But I, I played it in 1440p, and it looked pretty damn good. Yeah, and so it's... Uh, Andy, you've been playing this... Uh, week and I, I completed on PS4 last year and um, I think you basically came out of it with the same conclusions that the rest of the yeah. team did when they played it so what did you think? I like how we came straight in with the uh, the resolutions and stuff for this like arty game of, of, of storytelling it's like oh, it's 1440p <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it, it, it was 60 <laughs> frames per second but, yeah. but, uh, but that's what you know that's the difference between this and the PlayStation 1 Yeah, is yeah. that we can now run it at crazy resolutions uh, it's a CryEngine game, so of course it looks amazing. Um, it does look really good. Yeah. So it is. Um, it's a first-person story game, one of them games that some people sneeringly refer to as walking simulators. But, but now has been reappropriated by the developers of walking simulators. Yeah, they're um, trying to reclaim it, which I which I like. That's yeah. good. Good work. Um, so you wake up. Who you are, you don't know who. The, it's abstract. What or who you are? You're just a floating first-person camera you know doesn't matter what you are or why you're there but you wake up in this place called Yorton Valley which is in Shropshire it's fictional um, but it's basically like the uh, West Midlands region of England which is rarely um, <laughs> rarely features in video games how, how I've always wondered how do you explain the Midlands to like people who don't live in the well UK? the West Midlands are, are slightly different it's true. got more in common with the West Country which yeah. is kind of um, kind of uh, lots of farmland and um, uh, rustic pubs and cider drinking. Maybe actually not as much cider drinking Less as cider. the West Country, but yeah. you know, it's still, so it's that kind of like it's not it, Somerset. Let's yeah, not go it's, crazy. It's like a you know, it's like a rural community, and there's a lot of little. It's 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 like there's valleys and hills, and there's a lot of little communities. Someone in that village there. at some point has definitely worn a flat cap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It feels like a place where they might have a meat raffle sometimes. But it's Actually, also, maybe it's a bit too posh for that. Well, that, that's the thing. Yeah, it's posh as well. That's what sets it apart from a lot of other places. It's it's kind of um, places where you'll find like posh old ladies peering through the curtains at you mm. if you walk into town, kind of thing. It's kind of it's secluded, and the brilliance of the setting, I think, is that it's a secluded place, and also it's set in the 1980s, so there's no internet or a widespread mobile phone so it's a, a clever way of containing the story mm, yeah. and uh, so something has happened in Yorton Valley and uh, the valley is literally being contained so not only is the story contained in the valley but the government is trying to keep people from leaving for whatever reason yeah. but you you roll, you walk into town into the village of Yorton which is like the biggest village in the area and you find that every everybody's gone where could they have gone to? The post office. <laughs> Everybody's gone to the toilet. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the the title, I mean, is is a vague clue about where everybody might have gone to. But uh, as you learn, as you go on, that you know, there's a couple of meanings to what that could be. But it's basically a walk around, beautiful environment game. And as you walk around, you see like shimmering lights taking the shape of humans, reenacting moments from the past. Yeah, and some of these moments are way back in the past. Some of them are immediately before whatever happened. Um, some of them, you know, they're all over the place chronologically, but they all tie together and in, to in a way that 
connects to the overall arc, which explains what happened. Mm. I hear it has an excellent pub. Wow. <laughs> well, let's yeah. It's a, it's it's. Let's not turn this into yeah, pub criticism chat. Because <laughs> if you want to read about the pub, Phil's going to write a thing about it. He's Phil's got some stern criticisms of the inaccuracy of the pub. Yeah, it'll be online uh, on Monday, which by the time you're listening to this will be well, probably, probably be on my Monday. website or slightly later if things get a bit too deadline. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, keep your eye on the website but for Phil's. But, this but, week, certainly, uh, yeah, I am going to lay into those it barrels. Doesn't, They're not the right barrels. They yeah. used the wrong barrels. For it doesn't hold up to much scrutiny. Especially the barrels in particular, but it, in terms of the essence of a of an English country pub, it's nailed it. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's spot on. That's that's what Phil's taking. He's, <laughs> he's taking away from this is for for, the, for a person who doesn't work in a pub who yeah. just goes to pubs. That is definitely a pub that that serves bad bitter. I admit, that <laughs> first you could walk into there and you get the flavour. You'd certainly get the texture yeah. of a pub from that area. But once you know a thing or two, the cracks start to fall away. It's like yeah, when it's like when someone drinks a pint and they go, "That's a pint of beer." You're the beer nerd who goes, "It's got hoppy." You know, you're the one that goes too deep. I've got, you, I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a mate like that. And he's always on that app untapped, and it's like it's always rating beers, and it's unbearable. And yeah, like it's 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 actually the only thing that's more pointless than Twitter. If you want a good laugh, go on to one of those beer nerd review websites and type in like generic lagers like special brew in Carlsberg <laughs> and there's really earnest reviews about the mouthfeel oh, and the, the barley I have at least taste. two friends who will go into a pub serving a selection of ales and ask to try like a small glass of each one before deciding like swirl it around <laughs> like a wine yeah, like Wait. I'd like to point out, everybody criticising right now. You are the ones who cajoled me into writing this feature. <laughs> no, 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 no. I suggested it. Oh, we're just we're, we're just offering a useful counterpoint for the purposes <laughs> of entertainment on the podcast. <laughs> it's um, but, pub prophecy twenty sixteen. Uh, but yeah, pub. They only have gin. Where's the whiskeys? There's just six yeah. bottles of plain well, gin. But maybe the whiskey went to the rapture. You know, yeah. like uh, <laughs> I feel gone like to the rapture and they've taken their whiskeys with them. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this. Yeah, this is distracting from the fact that generally <laughs> the game really nails the ambience and the look of a small English rural town. Like if you've, I've been to places like this many times and it's t- it's really uncanny that. Even, you know, there's obvious details like red phone boxes and red post boxes that an American developer could get. Yeah. But it's little details well, and little... The specifics of, say, like the police cars that are involved in the quarantine and stuff like yeah. that. Are, and just, yeah, little things like street small. signs and stuff like that. It's just, you can tell, you know, the Chinese rumor is an English developer. Yeah. And it feels like England in quite an amazing way. I think people who have seen, like, um, uh, Doctor Who, who live in other countries, will will know this version of England from that. Yeah. Um, this, particularly, like, uh, sort of like Stephen Moffat era, like around Series 5, where mm. Amy Pond lives and stuff. Like, it's all very uh, familiar for, based on that. And yeah. Yeah. What's, what's interesting is it's like, um, I was thinking about how it compares to something like Firewatch, where... Um, you, are, I'm seeing a slice of an environment, a world that I don't really know in Wyoming, but it, it, it feels, it feels real in some ways, and 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 that's quite a powerful experience stepping into a, a world yeah. like that that's familiar, but you don't normally see it in a video game, you know. Yeah, and even if you aren't familiar with, with this type of English town, that the no, there's a novelty in itself, you get to experience a different type, somewhere different, and it might seem like an unusual place to set a game about the apocalypse, but that is one of the strengths is that you're seeing an apocalyptic event through the eyes of mm. normal people mm. through and the eyes of community where every week there is a darts night yeah for sure and that's the highlight of the yeah week. there's like there's a brilliant bit at the start where there's a an old lady sort of ranting to the the town priest like each area of the game focuses on a different character 
and she's sort of like, and this is bloody yacht, and like, how can anything be anything be happening here? Like, why are the soldiers, you know, this and that kind of, uh, that, in those small communities, you think there's a feeling of being untouched by the outside world, and they're like, you know, how can this be happening here? But you know, if, if the apocalypse did happen, and no world would be safe. So it's really cool to see it from the perspective of. Um, the, some of the characters you follow in the form of these shimmering silhouettes is like a priest, a caravan park owner, a, an old lady, retired lady. It's 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 quite spooky to go to walk around. Like it's not scary, but it's it's definitely more than tense. Like it's yeah. it's, it's it's quite an unusual feeling. And like um, it uses these it uses like uh, kind of like distress signals in a really um, quite effective way. Yeah, uh, when you're near. The story's told as well as this, the shimmering figures. The story's also told for radios that you interact with, and when there's one nearby, it's kind of um, playing a number station. Mm, if you yeah. don't, if you like know in about Lost, them. you know, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. but but better. Yeah, I think <laughs> a lot of I'm I'm quite I'm a bit of a um, I spent a good year being quite obsessed with number stations and going really deep with research into them. So you, yeah, That's such an Andy <laughs> yes. Kelly thing. My uh, God, yeah, and I, I wrote a big article about them that I never did publish anywhere. But yeah, I don't think anyone would want to print it. But anyway, so like, well, a lot of games <laughs> try. Yeah, well, a lot of games trying uh, and other things like Lost and other films have tried to use number stations, and they always they always ruin their very concept by explaining what they are. Mm. Like lost, it was that you know uh, equation that could stop time turning into a magnet or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> but like, so what I like about um, Rapture is that it doesn't really explain what they are. So that's good. It just uses them as a creepy device to, yeah. to evoke a feeling. Because you, you know. when you hear them from far away and you get close to them, that's it's an unset. Yeah. And then you, you yeah. see a shimmer of light in the distance. It's, it's a it's an unsettling combination of things. You know? Yeah. It's, if uh, you don't know what they are, there's probably someone who doesn't know what they are. Hmm. There's um, throughout this sort of Cold War era. And even now, there's still some active on on shortwave radios, which are really powerful radios that can, you know, um, detect the most hidden away signals. People found like creepy, unexplained stations with uh, robotic voices, monotone voices reading out numbers. And there's lots of theories about the Cold War ciphers for spies and stuff like that. But when you let, if, just go on to um, Google the Connect Project, C O N E T, SoundCloud, and there is a whole archive and they are really creepy like there's something <laughs> really uncanny and jarring about them they just sound weird mm. and they always play like little bits of creepy music That's and the stuff thing you don't get from lost and that is that this is a real thing that happened yeah and they're out there and and there's one like there was one broadcasting from like the chernobyl exclusion zone for like 10 years oh, wow. like oh man just just you know it's, it's really interesting to get read about and and everybody's got the rapture uses that as a it's not the main focus of the story or anything but it's just a cool device to make you just feel like something's wrong here so Pub aside, we've actually been quite positive about Rapture up to now, um, but you do have some issues with yeah. it, I take it. Yeah, well, you mentioned Firewatch, and one of my favourite genres is the walkabout, being told a story genre that mm. some people, you know, a lot of people don't like. Walk, quite, walkabout's quite a nice term for walkabout. that genre. I yeah, like walkabout that. genre, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Know, and not to be confused with the uh, dreadful pub chain, but you yeah. Yeah, or the thing where you yeah. walk into the Australian Outback for six months. Yes, Lovely, which the pub chain genre. is based on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, um, so Firewatch and Gone Home are walkabout, be told a story type games. But there's a, I think we can just call them walking simulators. Yeah, walking simulators, walkabout games. I'm gonna start using that. I really like that walkabout games. Um, so those ones in the house uh, and Gone Home, you are just walking around the house, but you're also opening cupboards, opening drawers, yeah, or going into rooms, uh, navigating the space in a kind of you know 
doing things. Making a mind map of the house kind of thing like mm. that. And you know it feels, it feels like, like you're discovering stuff. Yeah, you're actually picking up things from yeah, the environment like, and tying that in. Yeah, into like the, you're rooting through someone's life. The history of the yeah, these yeah. people's In Firewatch existence. you have a radio and you can climb up you know, you can use climbing gear and yeah. you can navigate and you can use the radio to talk to Delilah. It's very light touch though still, I think. Yeah, it, yeah. but it's still you are doing something. Mm. Whereas everybody's got the rapture is completely almost like 99% passive where I mean the walking around and exploring uh, through the open world is your interaction really um, mostly you're just watching the story and play out in front of you there's no kind of rooting around and, and once you go into a house there's really nothing to do in there but watch these things play out yeah so that that's my only criticism of it is that I felt like a lot of the time I was just watching things happen in front of me whereas other walkabout games yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'll um, give you a, a little bit more interactivity. So that's that's my only thing about it is that the it plays out like you know the story play these silhouettes play out stories in front of you and yeah. you don't really feel like you're connected to them. You just feel like you're an observer. You're floating through passively, passively observing something. Whereas in Firewatch, you feel like Henry. You feel like you're hiking through the woods. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's my only complaint about it. But otherwise, if this the environment is so beautiful and so massive but and has good variety as well I sort of didn't mind I've also heard from like Chris and that that it is quite easy to miss chunks of the story yeah. is, is that something you found as well yeah well I am I, um, every character has an ending to their story mm. which is a big dramatic scene and some of them are really moving and the music's amazing and yeah just quite you get quite drawn into the stories but the, it is possible, but apparently Chris just missed some of these big endings. So did I actually. Like I, I think I caught two of the yeah. characters throughout that, and then obviously the main ending. But like, yeah, um, yeah I, you have to kind of train yourself to. Whenever you enter an area, there's a little uh, sort of orb of light floating around, leaving a trail behind it, and it looks like it's kind of randomly just. It's almost playful the way it's just sort of dancing around you, but it does lead you to story points. So you have to sort of train yourself, even though you, you, you're rambling around and poking through buildings at your own pace, occasionally it's good to just follow it and it'll take you to each stage of each character's story, but it's not explained. So it's easy. The game is so open and uh, encourages exploration that there's a very big chance you'll just miss all that stuff. You can like walk from one end of the game to the other and miss whole, hmm. and, and that will affect the impact of the ending. Because, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, it's, hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I I only got like shards of story for most of the characters, um, but even so, like, uh, and, and I did think it was too easy to miss things. Um, yeah. I still just having echoes of people who lived in that place without even knowing the full story. That itself was still yeah an interesting experience to me, and I think it's worth it on that level, even if you don't yeah, see everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's certainly just being in that world is like uh, it's uh, it's unlike any other game world because it's yeah. just such an unusual choice of a setting. Yeah, um, so, it, <coughs> it's so it's quite looking, especially from Asp's perspective, yeah. as people who live in England. Yeah, that's... and uh, I, I would I I still recommend it to anyone, even knowing that that it's quite passive and that yeah. you might miss bits of the story. You know. Yeah, I I, I had a, you know I put it for set, it took me seven hours to finish, and I, even then I missed stuff. I was been pretty thorough, I thought, hmm. but I missed a whole section. Um, but yeah, it's I mean if you like. If you like those types of games, if you like walkabout games, and you don't want to, you don't mind a lack of interactivity, even compared to Gone Home or Firewatch or games like that, then yeah. And it, even if you just want to go for a walk around an amazing place for yeah. five hours, 
and it, I'd say play it. It's amazing that they've gone from like Dear Esther in 2012 to uh, yeah. Machine for Pigs and then to this. Like it's it's the the size of like a AAA game world pretty yeah. much, and it's still made by about I think 20 people or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, uh, I can't wait to see what they do next. Mm. Um, also, can't wait to see if a kind of like modding scene a, a emerges around it because I think someone suggested what if you could wear the Crisis power suit and go around that. <laughs> yeah. Tower? You know what? Actually, one mod I'd like the to shit see out of a phone box. Yeah. <laughs> Punch the pub down. Yeah, for being inaccurate. Yeah. Could, you could put uh, Slender Man in there and you know make a, a four out of ten, make a four oh, out of ten yeah. horror game. Well, the, the biggest oh, YouTube will love it. <laughs> British Slender Man. He's exactly the, um, the same, but you know he's Winston Churchill Slender Man. You know. <laughs> um, but yeah, people could mod in faster walking because that is a real, real yeah, problem. Like, the walking is incredibly slow, and there is a, a supposed run button that which you hold. And after seven seconds, you you walk turns into a slight yeah, you, you, half you're a jog, sort of, yeah, a brisk a gamble. Run. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and I don't mind slow games at all. Like you know, I you know, I, I took me thirty hours to finish Alien Isolation. That's one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, I like slow games, but even this was a bit too ponderous for me at times. Yeah, and I think when it came out on PS4, they didn't even mention that it had a run button to yeah. um, reviewers or when when it came out, which yeah. is interesting. But um, yeah, yeah that's, that's that's good to know. Angus, you got any questions about everybody's gone to the rapture? I've just noticed you're, uh, you know, you haven't said loads. So no, I, I sure dropped you. the pub bombshell. Now, now yeah, I feel a bit too that. afraid to, to bring up anything else. <laughs> it was a thanks, kid. Angus. Phil did live in a pub for a while, didn't you, Phil? Yeah, many pubs yeah. over the years. Yeah, yeah, you go. And he's he's uh, in that time built up uh, a. a a real kind of hatred for people in canal boats. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a completely. Ta- this is this is a. Big yeah, if, tangent, if you listen but... to the um, end of the podcast, Phil will rant about this for forty minutes. <laughs> um, Bonus content. Um, I hate canal boats. <laughs> All right, so the next game. I don't. Game really drown. <laughs> I don't really. No, he doesn't really. Uh, he's just hungover and sad. Um, but uh, <laughs> the next game we're going to talk about, Phil, is Baldur's Gate: Siege of Dragonspear, yeah. which is actually an expansion for Baldur's Gate. The fifteen over fifteen year old Baldur's Gate has an expansion now for some reason. It, but it's just compatible with the enhanced edition. Yeah, with the enhanced edition released for a few years ago uh, by Beamdog, who mm. own the license now and uh, released. Enhanced editions, this, these polished up versions of um, both Baldur's Gates and Icewind Dale, I think. Yeah. Because the big question is, was it worth expanding? Well, it's already so, like it's already massive. Did the internet yeah, they, for one thing, it's a huge game. I think with Siege of Dragon Spear, uh, to return to uh, running theme from episode two, they kind of it seems like they spent so long wondering if they could. They, they didn't stop to think whether they should. Um, it's, it's, it's a strange thing because, in a way, it's obliterated all of my nostalgia for Baldur's Gate, which I, I, don't, I don't want that to sound worse than it is, but it's, I've always been able to forgive Baldur's Gate for its... Um, Dragon Spear destroys childhood memories. Yeah. Three Put out that of ten. On the box. In no way is that an exaggeration. Um, no, what I'd say is um, I've always been able to, I, while recognising Baldur's Gate's flaws as a second edition D&D rule set in a computer RPG um, it's that's always been something that you think well okay at the time that probably made sense and I can see what they were doing and I can accept that I can just I can deal with those flaws and move through it, this game that I enjoyed at the time hmm. now there's new that 
so there's no there's no nostalgia to it because it's new. Uh, there's some returning characters. Um, you input you can import your character from Baldur's Gate. Um, it uses the same hero in the narrative. It sort of it works out in the story. It works as like the middle gap between Baldur's Gate One and Baldur's Gate Two. Mm. So if you play Baldur's Gate Two, you'll know you sort of wake up in the dungeon. Aranicus. Yeah, John Aranicus. Um, <laughs> and it's all quite confusing because you're just like, okay, well, I, I just solved this problem and now I'm in this problem and I don't know why. Uh, and this tells you, sort of. Is okay. he in it? Okay. Is that a spoiler? It, it tells you the story of how you came to be there. Oh, so okay. you can assume. Yeah. What, uh, what I will say is very early on you meet, you have conversations with this mysterious hooded figure who just like teleports into your room and will just talk to you. Um, and if you have any ability to recognise voices, yeah. you will know instantly who that is uh, based on his voice. Because okay. a lot of the old um, voice actors do return. For the roles, like a lot of the old companions that return, Minsk and um, uh, do these do they sound for the, the same? Most part, they sound the same. So it's been um, a long time. One or two sound slightly different. Immerwind sounds quite different, um, but she was always most annoying. Was always <laughs> the most annoying. Um, and Jahira's voice actress just hasn't returned at all. So she uh, she has dialogue, but it's she's mute. She doesn't speak it. It's just text that pops up, uh, and that can be a bit weird. But it's kind of good they didn't get. It might be even more jarring if there was a bad sound alike. That's true. Yeah, you yeah. just do it in your head. Yeah, yeah. Do you um, do you think there's this is a test run for doing a, a bigger Boulder Skate well, standalone game? Beam Dogs. It seems their um, their hope has always been to make Boulder Skate three. And they've um, just hired David Gator from Bioware. Yeah, uh, if they do that, I really hope they kind of move away from the Infinity Engine and the D and D rule set because, like, as I'm saying, like now there's a new now there's a new adventure here. Actually, playing through that with the old Infinity Engine. Uh, rules and systems exposes how much of a pain in the ass that is. So I played Pillars of Eternity mm. and loved it, like hardback guy book, the whole hog. Would I be at all interested? I don't in know because Dragon Spear. Have, have you played Boss Gates? I should have done. You're allowed to say no. No, we're not gonna. We're not gonna torment you for that. They're, I've not played it for years and years. Long-ass games. And I played about. Uh, I probably played about five or six hours back in the nineties or noughties. The thing to realise is a lot of what happened in Pillars of Eternity was a direct response to things that don't work in Baldur's Gate. If you go back, the combat system specifically is okay. We we're not burdened to D and D anymore. We we're free to make a combat system in a similar style that works and <laughs> isn't a pain in the eye. Yeah, like, for example, you can play as a mage and not immediately be blown to pieces yeah, as soon as you... Uh, I mean, that's not so bad in Dragon Spear because obviously you don't start at level 1, you start around level 7 or 8 because it takes place after Baldur's Gate 1 so you, so the power curve is actually quite good but you've still got this thing where if you've got a melee character, you tell them to attack someone and they'll walk over and they'll just slash their sword and slash away bang the microphone slash there, away. impacting out slashes. Um... <laughs> And you would just wait for the dice rolls to happen and uh, wait for the underlying maths of the thing to say you've registered a hit. And it's kind of just interminable. I did play um, Sword Coast Legends that used the D&D rule set, yeah. and that was the same. And the, actually, the thing that annoyed me the most in playing it was um, the detect trap spell. Because dungeons obviously have traps, that's what dungeons have. But to work it, you've got to have your rogue character, your thief or whoever... They, uh, 
they've got detect traps activated, and you've just got to stand in an area and wait to see if there's yeah, a trap. And it, it takes long. It appears quicker if the stats higher. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, it always takes longer than you think it should. So you're standing around. It's like okay, there's no trap, so you move a few paces, but you don't know what the range is. So it's like okay, well, is there going to be a trap in this section? And you just got to go that, 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 that. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, wait. And then if there is a trap, you disarm it, and then you take a few steps. And it's like, hey, there was another trap I wasn't expecting, and it goes off. So I just, to be honest, I just I, I triggered a lot of traps because Siege of Dragon Spear has a lot of traps. Right. And it's a bit of a pain. <laughs> hmm. Okay. So I think you didn't give a 71 in the end? I did. Um, because despite, despite the question of whether they should, there's also the, the, the thing there where, okay, if you are looking for New Baldur's Gate, if you can forgive these problems, if you want to see that series continue, yeah. it's actually a pretty decent chapter in the story. Um, I really quite like the setup of it where uh, it's very linear, probably more so than possibly as linear as maybe the ending to Baldur's Gate 2, the, those last few chapters. Um, you, I mean, you don't have freedom of movement around the world, really. You, you can move forward, but once because you're following this flaming fist camp because you and the city's guards are going to put down this you know going to stop this crusade that's your job a crusades with well you know taking place in the north mm. and you need to stop that from happening um, so you just move with this this camp of soldiers uh, so you, you know you move forward and the camp follows with you and you can't move back you're always moving forward but that that's quite a nice kind of way of building up you sort of building up the power of it and you're recruiting new people sometimes and yeah it works quite nicely through that and and within that there are a couple of nice things like um so it, it does feel more open-ended in its solutions than a lot of rpgs you'd play these, these days do you, you know a lot of a lot of combat encounters you can talk your way out of or come up with fairly clever ways of going around it you can like disguise yourself and infiltrate this crusade army uh, stuff like that. There, there, there's little clever, clever scenarios that, if you know, you do the right things, will open up to you, and that's all pretty nice as well. Mm. Okay, interesting. Uh, well, I suppose, like um, on some level, they did never uh, claim it was anything more than a, an expansion to a game that people already understand, and mm, so absolutely. those coming into it will know what the limitations of uh, the Infinity Engine yeah, are. Yeah, I think right? it's just, it, going back to that and playing a game from 1998. I think you're always more. Uh, amenable to, to sort of forgiving its problems than mm. you are playing a game or playing an expansion from 2016 where you're like, okay, well, there are there are pillars of eternities out there, Divinity Original Sins out there. There are these games that take this sort of the viewpoint, this RPG style, this style of adventuring, and have progressed it in very clever ways. To now make new stuff within a very old and antiquated system is a little okay. strange. All right, but, interesting. But there are there are still good points to it, like for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can check out the review on PCGamer.com. And uh, the last game on our list today is Dark Souls Three. Oh, time to shine. Um, we talked, you believe it. Tom talked a bit about this uh, the other day on the last episode of the podcast, and uh, he basically covered the fact. We talked about why people like Dark Souls, and he just got to the first boss, but wanted to know how you were getting on with it and uh, how far you've progressed. I am loving it, and I wasn't completely expecting to because I literally I beat Dark Souls 2 about a fortnight ago and at that point I'd spent 50 something hours on it I was really burned out and I just sort of button mashed my way through the last boss just to say I had done it and it was over um, but so 3 I was expecting it to be kind of quite familiar more of the same but it's 
it, at the same time, it's this completely different beast. Like you can definitely tell it's done by um, it's had more control from Miyazaki, who did the first one. But at the same time, that familiar's that familiarity is really helping with um, like moving through the world and sort of finding your rhythm in it. Mm. So, for example, there's this one. There's the traditional poisonous swamp level that appears mm. in every game and is the bane of everyone's existence. And you come to it quite early on, and it's meant to be the first boss you take down is lurking in there somewhere. But I didn't really fancy wading through the poison. But I know in every Dark Souls game there's something called the poison, poison Bite Ring that gives you extra poison resistance and makes your life less hellish. Um, and I hadn't found it yet, and I've been pretty thorough at looking through everything. So I just decided, why not? I'll wander down the road to the second boss instead. I'll probably get my ass handed to me, but who knows? And just tucked away, like behind, like you find one secret, you find another secret, and just tucked away in a tiny crevice before you actually have to fight anything dangerous on the route to this third boss away from the second is the poison bite ring. So just knowing that's there um, and getting the sensation that this is all part of the same world has was, been a really interesting experience. Hmm. Okay. Tom was saying a similar thing, but the sort of uh, the familiarity and the, the template that uh, from users is, is becoming sort of so refined at this point that in a sense it is making it easier for people who are really familiar with that series yeah it, it definitely doesn't have the same like completely baffling mystery as mm. the first one and like baffling is the right word like unless you have some kind of pointer you're going to make massive mistakes yeah. on Dark Souls 1 uh, and 3 as well It's def there are a couple of branches along the path but it is definitely more linear like you could be dropped in the first level of the first Dark Souls and just like wander off a cliff and keep wandering and thinking it's the right way until you find something that just grinds you to pace with a single hit. There's mm. no pointer. Whereas three, you just you, there is only one way you can go. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, um, have you encountered much in the way of bosses so far, Angus? I yeah, I've, I beat the first of like the the four like main story bosses. Are they the lords? Night. Yes. Yeah. The lords of Cinder. Um, and the boss design is just off the chart. It's yeah. that. So so far, I off the it's off the it, book. It is. Son. So far, like the the boss, not to avoid spoilers, I'll keep it vague. But the boss fought itself. The huh. one I beat last night. It was it was so. Well, Dark Souls has gotten a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're fighting a lone guy at the start, and more mobs turn up as they tend to. But instead of going for you, they just start wailing on each I other. I read a, I read about this and that enemies, if you lure one enemy type towards another, they'll start having a barney and you can slip by. <laughs> Yeah, that barging, was that's barging. on the run up to these these <laughs> first ah. bosses, and it is quite clever at the same time because um, these are these are this boss is meant to be sort of watching the abyss and keeping like you and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that sounds familiar. <laughs> watching the abyss and keeping um, gazing into it, you all the say. the live people yeah. safe, um, but the abyss is sort of gazing crept out. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it has gazed back, and now it's. Making everyone fight themselves. Wow, interesting. That was the, so that was the last the part of that Nietzsche quote, wasn't it? If you gaze at the abyss, the abyss will crawl out. It'll crawl out and start <laughs> having a barney. Andy, <laughs> Andy <laughs> will start wailing on the PCG office. Have a barney <laughs> with the abyss. They'll be able to also have a barney with you. Have you played um, Bloodborne, Angus? I haven't. I don't have a PS4. Uh, staying on brand, I like it. You know. Yeah. Uh, we're all complete yeah. scum. That was a test. Yeah. You said yes, we're going to cast you out. I was going to. I was going to fire him live on the episode. It's going to be a. Real good drams. Imagine that, the cliffhanger. 
I am of course only joking. I think I think most people own a PS4 on uh, PC Gamer, but um, yeah, ma- I don't. Ma- ma- mainly just to- <laughs> ma- I think mainly just to play Bloodborne or, or Destiny. Uh, and you Destiny know. Yeah. yeah, those are the only reasons. When they're on PC, I can throw mine in the trash. So. <laughs> so we cast it out into Bath Canal. <laughs> it's good for Netflix. Uh, that is it true, is actually. Yeah, that is more convenient using and PC. Although the I've WWE a, Network. I've got a Steam controller now, so Netflix is actually pretty good on PC. You know, yeah. for it, like living room and stuff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's Dark Souls. Um, stare into the has, abyss. Has, there, the been, abyss has there been anything that's properly walloped you yet? Have you? Yes. Have you had a? Yeah, everything. Okay, but anything you've really struggled with? Uh, the curse rotted. Great words. It's um, boss. I love yeah, words. Dark Souls yeah. is like you know when someone in a TV show or a film like jokingly talks about a game. That's what Dark Souls yeah. sounds like. Yeah. We we're talking about. He got the great sword of Yarnum and killed the the, <laughs> the great sword of Shropshire. Like, and... <laughs> it reminds me of the the shat on a turtle bit in uh, Austin Powers, where they're just talking in impenetrable coffee <laughs> yeah. language, just like shat on a turtle. The subtitles are just like question marks. Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's a real thing, you know. <laughs> so what was that? The great rotted, dirty tree great beast? tree fiends. Yeah. Mm. Um, what are those things? That, I saw a video of these things that laugh that look genuinely quite terrifying. They're like sort of big chunky guys. Giant the, woman. They go around and laugh <laughs> at you. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> That's some in-depth terminology right there. They call them giant women. They call yeah. them the big dogs. If, if you can believe such a thing. That famous, the famously impenetrable Dark Souls law. Giant woman. <laughs> I've been looking at friends. Yeah, small no, kid. They, they are literally giant farmer women. Yeah, they are terrifying. Like, great big maces yeah, that they giggle spells, every time they? they launch off a spell that makes you hemorrhage to death. Well, there was um, there was a uh, farmers in blood. <laughs> In Bloodborne, one of the weirdest things about Vicar Amelia is that it's like a giant dog thing that screams in a woman's voice whenever it attacks <laughs> that's you. Amazing. And I I had a, that's amazing. I had a nightmare about, about that. After that. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to experience all that weirdness, but and then that's why I'm one of the, of the crowd that goes put an easy mode. So in yeah, it. I was going to say. So one of the things um, Siege of Dragonspear actually has now uh, is this. It's added a story mode to Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition, which basically makes you completely invulnerable. You're invulnerable to everything. You can't die. You're always regenerating health. You've got 25 strength. That means you'll never get over-encumbered or anything. Oh. Every character. And I want you, pillars to have that. Yeah, <laughs> you can just go through and not worry about any combat, any things. You can just like enjoy the role-playing story side of it. I like all games should have that. Should we option. do that for Dark Souls? Should we petition for? Yeah. Dark just Souls just have just as an option, mode. like have the normal game there, but just if you just want to enjoy oh, the story. If you could readers, if you could see Angus's face. <laughs> right they so they so beautiful. They so tediously built that difficulty into the brand of those games. That's yeah, the point. Yeah, so it's the the a fundamental part of But what about Andy yeah. who just wants now. to be scared by a big woman? I want to be screamed <laughs> at by a screaming dog. Is it a, is a it as scary if there isn't the potential that she can set herself on fire yeah. Yeah, and hug you to death? You can go on a walkabout. Uh, Andy likes walkabouts. Yeah. I just want to I want to walk it. I wish Dark Souls was a walking simulator. I, I think <laughs> I think I think I know what the that. internet will find you. <laughs> yeah, I said that was purposefully provocative. I don't actually believe that. I think wrong. I know that what like uh, what easy mode, uh, what kind of like version of an easy mode I would like in those games, and it's where like it strengthens your weapons by like one point five times and. Your shields always block, as opposed to being like worn down. And yeah, you've just got fight, endurance. Yeah. Also, you're invulnerable. I think it. <laughs> so I think it takes some fly. of the no, comedy. No yeah. clipping no mode. On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just want god mode and no clip. <laughs> I think there's like there's quite a there's a dark humour to it because like yesterday I, I scaled this great big ladder to get above a tree canopy. Mm. Canopy. I saw a 
great big demon stomping along at the end of the road. So I sort of jogged up to him, thought I'll go for the stealthy approach, get in there. He just turns around and breathes rocks at me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you kill it, you can learn to breathe rocks as well. That's, that's, awesome. that's awesome. There's just something really funny yeah, about Yeah, there is a humor in Dark Souls where it knows what you expect and like, you turn a corner and it will just throw something ridiculous <laughs> at you. Like, that is quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I, still, I must admit that. So you pick up you pick up new abilities as you go. Then is that how? Uh, yeah. If you, it depends on what you play because it's all um, stats and class based. So you can either just find new weapons lying around, or you can find spell books, or using the souls of rock breathing demons, you can turn those into new, more powerful spells and weapons. <laughs> okay, cool. Sorry, I've had to just make you explain Dark Souls to me. That's, uh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll do it again now. If you like. uh, oh, no, that's that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll read it up on Wikipedia once <laughs> once I'm done reading about Giant Woman. <laughs> uh, can you give me like another couple of like uh, names of things in Dark yeah. Souls? Just uh, you names. Know. Of just things. rattle off some names. It could be from any of the games, I think. Just what's the kind of like? What what's are the, the best what, names? What are the most kind of like? Uh, Shakespearean. Yes. Is there anything better than ceaseless discharge from the first game? (laughs) No. The best part. It will never be topped. It can't be topped. (laughs) It it just sounds like a a terrible medical condition. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Dark Souls Three, they sort of they either sound like they're straight out of Shakespeare, like Cursed Rotted Greatwood, or like German folktale names like um, Ludlex Death or something. And we're going to get angry tweets about how I've got that name. But the, there's one of the, is it the, the Boreal Dancer or something? That's, oh, I need spoilers. That's the I haven't Dancer of yet. the Boreal Vale oh, or something. Vort of the Boreal Valley. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. People <laughs> yeah. do get very pissy about just saying the names uh, of Yeah, sorry. We've got good listeners. We won't, we won't get it. Yeah, uh, no one we'll, sends any tweets all day. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get tweets about that. We'll get tweets asking, should I upgrade my graphics card? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. But <laughs> I don't have the mental capacity right now to deal with that question. <laughs> Phil is hungover. Okay, um, cool. So thank you, Angus. Uh, I appreciate you talking about Dark Souls 3 there. We might get you on in a future episode so you can talk about... Uh, what, what, I don't know why that's Hopefully, funny. But, you know, know, that's what else should I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to talk about uh, you know, what, the kind of like later bosses in the game and like how you feel after I having felt like it. it was the be... PvP as well, I'd like to hear a bit more about. So you know, if you could play some of that, that'd be fantastic. And we'll have you on in a future episode. Okay, cool. We'll be back after a short break with some reader questions. Nine two zero two eight. Nine two zero two eight. Seven eight four nine four. Seven eight four nine four. Okay, welcome back. Here we are with some reader questions. Uh, first question is from uh, Anthony Pinzone, who asks, is there a No Man's Sky episode? Because I literally can't get enough. Um, so what I interpreted that, that as is, can Andy talk a bit more about No Man's Sky, which he played uh, a little while ago? Although if he's asking for an episode, there was more No Man's Sky on episode one. one? Yeah, that's true. The but debut. That's yeah, true, we... but maybe he can't be bothered to trawl through the archives, you know? Yeah. like uh... <laughs> The five episode archives. <laughs> and it was more of a brief aside than, I mean... Talking point, wasn't it? So yeah, and, uh, well, here's another brief aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andy, uh, have you, is is there kind of more stuff you want to share about uh, how, how No Man's Sky made you? How do you feel about it? Like a few a few months on, do you still think about it? You know? Yeah. Would you dream about it? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I made it sound like it was uh, like <laughs> an Elvis Costello love. song or something. <laughs> I just I just want it. I just want to play it. I just want to go for a, ex- go for an explore. I think a lot of people are getting the wrong idea about it being like elite. I think people are going to prepare themselves that it's really just a kind of almost light survival game kind of landing on a planet poking around for stuff and then in the, pro- in the process surviving the 
against the elements, whether it's poison air or freezing temperatures or whatever. So I think a lot of people were expecting like a big deep space sim, like with tra I think there is trading and stuff like that, but it's not elite and it's not Eve. It's 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 an exploration game, you mm. know, that happens to be set in a among eighteen quintillion planets. Um, maybe you should just ask me some quick quick fire questions that about it. Yeah, I suppose like um, so if you're in the ship controlling it, does it feel more like playing something like Star Fox or Rogue yeah. Squadron? You know, I was I, I was one thing I was actually slightly disappointed with when I was flying the ship. It's very simplistic, like it's, mm. it is like Star Fox, but it doesn't feel quite even quite as good as Star Fox. It felt quite basic, and the ship controls felt quite heavy. Like mm. it didn't it didn't feel. Maybe I'm just spoiled by Elite and stuff like that, but it didn't. That was the least impressive thing was the actual flying of the ship. It just felt quite basic. Yeah. Uh, how about like um, cataloging creatures and stuff? What about how how exactly does that? I didn't work? actually do any of that. Um, okay. I think I could have done, but the, they were purposefully not encouraging me to do anything in particular, just so I could do what I wanted. And but yeah, I just what I it is really as simple as you point at a creature and it uh, a scientific style name is generated based yeah. on its procedural. And you delete elements. it and replace yeah. it with something offensive. Something offensive, yeah. Giantess Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ceaseless discharge. But, yeah. So that, that's quite cool that you can, you know, you can do that. But and but but the chances of someone else finding your planet are apparently quite slim. Mm. So if you name a, so if some, you do name a planet your mum, that's yeah. Someone might not even see it. But uh, yeah. Any any other questions? Uh, do you think there's a chance it could be like? Uh, did it feel atmospheric the the kind of world that you're exploring? Like um. Because I'm kind of wondering, like, if if you say reach a planet where like the the ground is like black and the skies are kind of grey, and then you go in like the water and you and you you come across this kind of like these large sea creatures that look like absolutely messed up, yeah. um, could could it provide like scary experiences in the way it generates worlds? Do you think? Yeah, well, the, <clears throat> the both planets I explored weren't very uh, actually. Well, the sec the, this this one of them was kind of scary but i think there is potential for that like you said if the, if the elements are right for it to be like dark and ominous and the, the creatures to be particularly scary looking then i think it's got potential for that but the planets i were on the first one was kind of a snowy scandinavian forest that was just quite nice and peaceful mm. at a kind of um ethereal like it was just nice pleasant you know yeah, yeah. Uh, but the second one was like a big toxic soup and it was it was just quite it felt quite harsh and dangerous so i think that's a tiny. You know, that's, that's two out of eighteen quintillion possible uh, planets. So, <laughs> by the magic of num, like, do they do anything to protect against, say, somebody who has a run of only ever seeing shitty, barren planets with nothing on? No, that that's the thing that that could happen. That will happen. The, the chances of that happening. Someone's going to have the shittest yeah. version yeah. of the No Man's Sky. So that's that's the idea. Is that I think Sean Murray, the the head honcho, said something about one in ten planets would be the, the big, uh, lavish, lush, life-filled ones. Yeah. He one said in that. Ten's actually quite. Yeah. Okay, that's. But I mean, obviously, the chances are that you could have a, a bad run and yeah. and fly to like ten, eleven planets that are just sort of rocky or ga gas gassy, you know. Nothing's going on there, but then that's the part of the thrill. Apparently, is that you're you're about to give up, and then you land on some little planet you see, and it's like a, abundant with amazing dinosaurs, and it's all lavish and multicolored. We should do like a diary feature where you go to like a hundred planets in like one afternoon or something, <laughs> yeah. and, and like uh, I know, right? Uh, yeah, that's a good idea actually. I might, I might, that could be a good um, premise for a feature or something. A hundred planets in No Man's Sky and chart them all like a sort of space Magellan. Yeah, I'm we can noticing. have them all on like a big spread as well. Sorry, yeah. we're getting into feature media. I'm noticing, <laughs> I'm noticing an emerging trend with our features where they have to be sadistic now. 
yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, just visit 100 planets. People have to moon. People have to go through some shit now, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a good way of testing. It's like a stress test on the power of the procedure engine. How how much variety is there really? Yeah, like if you because if you have a hundred terrible planets in a row and it drives you completely mad. Like yeah. uh, I know that itself is like a little yeah. sci-fi short story that plays yeah. out. Yeah, the man who was driven insane by a hundred bad planets. Shouldn't hear Angus. This is how you this is how you get a successful pitch through Sam. Now is you go mad in some way. <laughs> you <laughs> go through a terrible experience I, I, and come out the other side a changed. I, and I feel Phil's exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> you know how bad my management style is. I hate <laughs> adventure games now, Sam. We, That's we, true. But, but that, that was. But that was your that was your idea. Was we it did my it. idea? It was, it was somewhat Andy's idea. It was, I'm pretty sure it was. But Phil went along with yeah. it. You know, he was complicit. Just because I'm a chump doesn't mean <laughs> we Phil, did actually cancel Phil a feature himself. meeting directly before recording this podcast. So now we're just doubling up. Yeah, no, it's cool though. We should we should do that. But um, it's it, hopefully uh, to, for Anthony that provides a bit more context on like No Man's Sky. I mean, I, I certainly. Um, got a lot out of hearing that like uh you know yeah. I, I, I don't want to be a downer on the ship handling or whatever i mean maybe it was just an early you know maybe it was just my ship my ship was kind of rubbish looking it was like a little space van <laughs> so maybe if you're in a big like cruiser yeah. or something if it was bad and, and, may, and maybe it's okay that the ship that the ship stuff is quite simple like uh you know it is it is functional in in some ways yeah, it's like, mostly um, about the planets i think yeah that's where all the the all the stuff did you, ham seems to be. That's just like one brief question. Do you see sort of like um, sort of armadas of ships going by and yeah, stuff? Yeah, everywhere flying? you go, yeah, every planet, the, the an orbit of it. There's yeah, space stations and big fleets of military ships. And actually, I, I shot one of them. And the then the there was a big sort of capital ship, and I flew towards it and shot my puny little <laughs> space lasers at it. And like two big turrets just turned on me and blew me up. Oh wow! So that was cool. That you, it's got that kind of those systems where you can maybe come back later when you've got a better ship or something, and maybe hold your own against one of them. But mm. it was quite cool that I went. You know, I, I poked the hornet's nest and got <laughs> rightfully punished. Yeah, yeah. So this is this could be a boring question, but how how is death handled then if you blow up? Or? I think I just um, I don't know if this see this might not be final. Mm. The build I played was was early uh, debug build, but I just appeared back on the last planet. Yeah. Okay. I or the last the last building I went into. Well, the last settlement I went into, um, I appeared back there. So maybe they count as like soft Checkpoint, checkpoints. Sort of, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right then. So our next question is: Why is the standard price for AAA titles sixty dollars? And the person who asked that is called Serpent Trash. Um, <laughs> so it, uh, I uh, I assume that there's a bit of ire here, but like uh, it's it's. On PC, it sort of varies. Like um, for us, that's about forty pounds. Yeah, yeah, and the, like there used to be a time where you know the big games on PC were pretty much thirty quid, and that always, was it. Yeah, always, and that's been creeping up and creeping up. And now sometimes you'll see fifty pounds and yeah, at the like Ubisoft end of the market. at the Ubisoft Microsoft end of the. Actually, market. Division was forty pounds actually, um, which is not too not too. I think bad. Assassin's Creed tends to be very expensive Dark Souls is 40 quid Dark Souls 3 that's alright yeah I suppose that's not too bad and like there are obviously places you can get um, get them cheaper than that uh, without it being like a dodgy key seller or whatever I guess the answer is games are quite expensive to make yeah like um, big AAA games with lots of graphics that are open world I've written has a standard price like a CD album has a standard price it's just the the, yeah yeah. and I think on PC it's actually fine like um, I I kind of brought this up because it's funny because when we did our last episode on Quantum Break, we talked about how it's fifty pounds on the um, on the Windows 10 store, mm-hmm. and uh, since then it's actually been moved down to forty five pounds in line with the Xbox One version, yeah. uh, which is a, a bit more a bit more of a bearable price. That would kind of that yeah. that extra five pound does go a long way, um, but I think we're fairly fortunate with pricing on PC For mostly the most part. because and of because of the way the kind of like the market works. It means you 
you know, Steam sales happen often, and that's, that's part of the culture of buying you PC know, games. Within so. six months, there's probably going to be a sale, uh, even if it's just like a twenty percent discount. That's that brings it down to you know, it's good to tier prices in that way if you're a business because you know you get multiple waves of hitting price points that people are prepared to pay. Hmm. Um, it just seems to be the the sweet spot of like charging people as much as you can without putting them off and still recouping. I mean, in a sense, I'd yeah. rather developers or publishers probably more accurately do this and actually charge a bit more for their game if it dissuades them from making some really shitty season pass or pre-orders content or whatever. Well, that's not going away, And it? unfortunately, it seems that, no, the two things are not mutually exclusive. We can raise the price of the base game and then <laughs> charge you for some real shite afterwards. Yeah, it's and like... It's, yeah, that, that sucks. There's even... I, it's also like, it's one of those things where it puts in, you in the in the consumer's mind. You can't help but think, I need that as well, because hmm. I haven't actually played through The Witcher 3 yet, but I bought the um, season pass of Amazon, admittedly for eight quid, which is really good. But um, it, it, that's it was... really good. Yeah, I think it might have been a price Era, but but um, but no, that's and then Fallout as well. I bought the season pass for that, and like, and I kind of in principle, I don't like uh, I don't like season passes, but I've I've definitely bought them on multiple occasions, and you know, I think yeah, some developers probably justify it. I think CD Projekt Red, certainly with the scope of what they're doing with the deal, the, the expansions as they call them, probably is worth getting that, especially for eight quid. For, like, yeah, for the amount of stuff you're gonna amount of extra RPG that's going to mean it's uh, going to be good. Yeah, I was using my best judgement there, you know. So far the Fallout 1 has proved to be less less essential, but... We're early on. Hopefully that third DLC, the, the big um, Nick Valentine Mystery Island one, is going to be, is going to correct that I quite once, a bit. I once spent about 50 quid on a Battlefield 4 season pass, and then a week <laughs> Why later... Why Well, a week later when I stopped playing it, it was sort of like waking up with a massive hangover and slowly remembering that you'd like, kissed your mate the night <laughs> <No>! <laughs> kissed your mate. I have no that idea. And you liked thing. it. <laughs> and you liked it, that was the worst You gave thing. EA 50 It seemed like a good idea at the it. time. Um, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, that's an unfortunate experience. But hey, you, you learned your lesson now. Yeah, I haven't bought one since. Yeah, you haven't made a bad decision since then, so you know it's uh, it's all good. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've I've uh, I've got no more to say on that. So uh, yeah, uh, what are your current feelings about how Overwatch will turn out? I don't know who asked that one, but uh, you know we need Chris here. Um, yeah, I've he's but, playing it more than he's, he's isn't he? quite a lot. He's a, he's a little bit concerned about the community around it that it's already a little bit toxic. I mean, the community, uh, especially on Reddit, and Reddit is not always a good signifier of a community, mm. but a lot of them seem like they do need to take a quick trip to the bin and <laughs> maybe stay in the bin Pop for, a the few bin days for a bit, yeah. and yeah. then <laughs> come out of the bin. Maybe if yes. they, you know, come out of the bin for good behaviour. Yeah, it's weird. I, I saw um, I saw someone uh, who I know who knows nothing about games tw- uh, use the words tracer butt the other day, oh. and I was like, uh, "What? How did it spread that far?" That is that? definitely top three dumbest controversies. The one of the top three dumbest things people have got worked up about in gaming this year. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say in like, the last so month. Far. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, so far this year. It's, it's a it's a really competitive category. It is, yeah. Um, but uh, I I I've played a little bit of it, and so have you, Phil. And like, yeah. uh, I, it does seem like a, a, a really kind of like cool uh, multiplayer shooter with some interesting abilities. There's quite a lot to learn. I found it I found it really hard to get into. And some people are so good with the characters already. Yeah, I, I mean, fear that when the game comes out, I'll already be way behind. As you know? somebody who got really into TF2 over various periods, I'm I'm looking forward to having a new shooter, a new colourful like character-based shooter. 
Um, I'm kind of now, at this point, I'm waiting for the open beats to kick off just yeah. because I figure the huge wave of derps that will come in <laughs> with no idea of what's going on will disguise my own incompetence among the community. Mm. It'll, it'll be such a flood of newbies that the uh, current um, bin community that live in the bin will will be too distracted to notice how bad I am. It's 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 uh, sort of the closest thing. If you're thing an Overwatch player and you're not awful, then I'm sorry for all the things I've said. Just I know, there's, now. Plen- there's plenty of non-awful um, Overwatch players. I'm sure there's like, loads uh, of them. But no, that, that's my number one fear is that just just because like some people have access to the beta, that the 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 game will be so weighted against uh, new players when it actually launches that, that. I think I think there will be such a number of new players that it will be okay. Like there'll be a few. Bit, like, the numbers in the closed beta now will be comparatively small, so it, a lot of it will depend on what Blizzard's matchmaking is like. It, did, it didn't feel like when we played it that there was any proper matchmaking well, at all in terms because, of ability. Because, no, that's true. <laughs> in fairness, that is true. That, that, gor- that giant be... gorilla was just uh, was just absolutely how, how savaging us. How recently did you? Uh, this is about two months ago. Actually. Yeah, we came in. The beta had been running for a long time when yeah. we first came in, and that's probably part of the. Problem. I, I think yeah. they've only recently. Added ranked match. Ranked. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So um, maybe it's worth another. We go. should be all right at some point. I'm, I'm yeah. just getting a bit annoyed at how sort of self-consciously they're trying to create this law of Overwatch. How they're releasing like the the animated shorts and the comic books. Are they trying to do like a meet the meet the, the cast? Sort type of, but yeah. it's, it's a lot more kind of earnest and it's a lot more. Um, I I think it's, it's a lot more really rated. I think it's really fun and quite nice. Yeah. <sighs> I, you, it, it's, you it's spoil a, sport. It's a very Blizzard thing. Like, like World of Warcraft has proper law. Starcraft has proper law. But it feels like they're trying to force it. Like those games have got such massive backstory because everyone loves them. With Overwatch, it feels like they're trying to do it the other way around. They're trying to make law happen. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 those I other games have stories, I guess, is the thing, and the stories develop into law. This doesn't have a story straight off. They're actually they are engineering one for that. But then, TF2 did that. And TF2 is a ridiculous game about two teams shooting at each other from across a small chasm, usually, and they turn that in. That now has more story than any Valve game has ever had. <laughs> there is more TF2 story than there is Half-Life story. Like yeah. that's just a fact. It's uh, yeah, I I, I I I don't begrudge that, and you don't have to watch them. You know, that's uh, the thing. I'm a miserable human. I would being, like if they so. were slightly funnier. It would be like yeah, they, I would like it, it, if Tracer didn't sound like. That her voice is awful, isn't it? What is it like a Cockney voice? Is it? Yeah. It's an American's impression of a yeah, Cockney it's, voice. It's we Britain. Somebody who's never <laughs> heard anybody from London in their life before has been asked to do a. Cockney is it worse voice, than so. Nolan North's um, Penguin? <laughs> God, bro, I mean Batman. I really, I like him as that. He's he's good, but it's. There are definitely men in London not, who sound like that. Definitely, yeah. Occasionally, they work on veg stalls. <laughs> <laughs> they work on. He's good. He chews. He chews the scenery, but occasionally it just slips, and you hear hear that he's just a, a man from America. Occasionally, uh, I guess so. <laughs> I, I, actually, you know, I have had a bit of Tracer, and it reminded me of. Um, I don't know if you've seen Community, but when Annie does a British voice in Inspector Space Time, like that, it sounds. She sounds a bit like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, cricket and all that sort of stuff. You know. Um, but no, I, 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 I really like it. I, actually, I don't quite get it as a kind of like a, a world of. I don't really see how all the characters fit together, but I think all the different character abilities in it are very well judged and, and really cool. There are so many reasons to to keep trying other characters to see what fits you. The abilities are so diverse and kind of like weird in some cases. Like it's it's really really uh, like a, there's definitely a space for it in the shooter market, and it's uh, it's yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, the ranked thing actually really makes me want to go back and play it. Film, maybe we should do that this weekend. Yeah, yeah, cool. 
Yeah. So I guess we. I guess when we know more. I guess. So I guess yeah, we're 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 positive on Overwatch for sure. It's, mm. uh, we're just with some mild concerns about the uh, some elements of the community that Phil would uh, invite to live in the bin. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, why are some PC ports half-assed? Um, so there's various reasons for this. I, I you know I, we don't have I don't have loads to say on it, but um, I thought it was interesting because you see a lot of uh, games from Japanese publishers coming to PC now, and the quality of the port uh, fluctuates quite wildly. Yeah, quite variable, yeah. Like um, was it Tales of of Asperia? That's the one. Was was that the appalling one? The no, Symphonia. Symphonia. Symphonia was yeah. the bad one. Yeah. Yeah, they symphoned it in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> isn't is, it really uh, just time and money and and those things yeah, are in short yeah. supply a lot yes. of the time. Yes, and a bit of that. knowing what people want in a PC port as well. If you've never done one before, then I can yeah. imagine, like just even including like options to change your anti-aliasing. That's not something you include. On FOV console. slider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Death. I don't care if it's a two D JRPG. I want an <laughs> FOV slider. Damn it. And yeah, if it's not at sixty. I am going to campaign yeah, against you. It doesn't have multi monitor support. This uh, <laughs> this two D platformer. Apparently, um, FF nine uh, is locked at thirty frames per second. But oh, I think I only ran it. I think I only ran at fourteen <laughs> frames per second in the first place. That's a game that you don't need sixty frames. And it's like uh, people are also complaining. Well, it's, but what about the lag on your turn based combat? Andy, <laughs> yeah. as you're selecting summon. And people are complaining that about the uh, there's a four three aspect ratio in it as well. And it's like that's how the game was made. And like yeah. if you had made it widescreen, you'd butcher the original art and it wouldn't work. Yeah, do like, they want them to go in and re-render? Made that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's and, and so on some levels, I think the reaction to that stuff can be extreme. But, it can be, but, but then, also publishers can't really pretend that they they don't know what PC gamers want anymore. Are a bit all over the place <clears throat> with this. Like uh, Final Fantasy VI, everybody hated the art style that came with the PC version of that because it's based on the mobile version. Because it? yeah, it was a port of the mobile version, um, and like and it um, looked like actual just balls. Someone had painted balls on a quite a <laughs> nice pixelated sprite-based art style. It's uh, it, there's also FF13, the original port of that um, didn't even have an exit button to leave to the main menu. Like and, uh, Quantum Break. Yeah, yeah like, <laughs> Quantum like Quantum Break. I actually break. refunded I bought Final Fantasy 12. Is it must 12? be 13. 13, I mean, yeah, sorry, yeah. on on Steam and, and just refunded it because it was such a... I, I was like, I can deal with a bad port and it was really too bad to... Yeah. Like, my but, controller would disconnect whenever you brought up a menu. So I had to re-plug it in. They did get better at it though. Like um, weird, by Lightning Returns, they they done a, they done a satisfactory job with yeah. uh, with how the port works. So uh, <laughs> it's just minimum effort. It's just it's just that, it's just that by then I was so burned out in the thirteen <laughs> games, so I, I didn't check Square it out. Because you know? like the, the, the arm of that company that would have formerly been known as IDOS, like tends to give off their ports to Nixus. Is like I, can't, I don't know if they're owned by Square Enix or they're third party, but they work closely with them and they do all the PC ports for like Hitman <coughs> and Deus Ex and Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. And generally, <coughs> sometimes a few performance issues aside, like they come out really well and with a, you know all the PC options you want, like all the customization in terms of graphics and scalability and stuff like that. Yeah, some of them probably have FOV sliders. I don't know. I assume they, that they, um, the Square Enix Japan operates kind of on its own sort Almost of like, certainly, yeah, yeah. On, yeah, it's a very different part of the company. Um, but yeah, like uh, th th there's different reasons for it, but um, 
the kind of hope is that people get better and better at it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. some companies are generally good. I think Sega seemed quite good. Like, it didn't a lot of people like the Valkyrie um, Chron- Chronicles, Valkyrie yeah. Chronicles and um, Dragon's Dogma. People like that as yeah. well. Um, uh, Dark Souls two, three, even is an unusually good one. Oh, I've heard, yeah. I've heard Apart that. from the the epic bonfire crashes and the fact that sometimes when you summon another phantom into your world, they just sort of slide around without any animation and but die. I think they were probably <laughs> like <laughs> they were probably convinced to raise their game there because Dark Souls one was a bit of a mess. <laughs> It was a, a really awful port, and yet people loved the game anyway and bought it, and it got such a huge like fan base despite the fact that they screwed it so badly. I think it's. Um, I think, that, I th- I think it, that goodwill kind of persuaded them. Okay, there's definitely an audience here who love us, and we should treat them with respect. Which, yeah, all credit due. That's a good approach, <coughs> yeah, a good absolutely. attitude to have towards your consumers. But yeah, hopefully they'll just get better and better. Um, uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so here's our regular question from Gareth Academy. Um, it's Academy Hour. Yes, who <laughs> always asks good questions. So uh, this week we've got from Civ Four's uh, Babietto to the uh, Skyrim and XCOM Two OSTs. Games have had some cracking backing music. What are your favourites and why? Wildstar. Um, really? Absolutely. That's a, that's a, out of that, is a yeah. that is a firm answer. Go. Yeah, well. it's, it's all on SoundCloud. Go and have a listen to the Wildstar soundtrack. Like, because I reviewed Wildstar. I don't remember any of its music really. Yeah. Was it was it kind of bouncy orchestral? It was very bouncy military space yeah, cowboy. Right. Very very um, upbeat, which is quite unusual for an mm. MMO, especially if um, someone like Sewell is behind it and yeah, you yeah, get yeah. your Skyrim esque music. Uh, but it just it absolutely perfectly nailed this theme of. Like yes, it's a sort of militaristic colonial venture, but we're also space rabbits. So yeah, that's a really specific, <laughs> very specific <laughs> thing to nail. Yeah. And as a composer, if you can nail that, yeah. then I think you're doing yeah. a good job. I think um, FF7's got some lovely uh, backing music. Like yeah. when you're just walking through environments, there's one called um, "Dear to the Heart." That's uh, when you're running across train tracks. Um, yeah. That's uh, in one part of the world uh, early on in the game. That's just lovely. And uh, yeah, there's some great. Something quite like, especially maybe just seven and eight, Final Fantasy seven and eight, like weirdly like melancholy and really evocative oh, sure, music, yeah. like yeah, like the Coral Town music and yeah, even like yeah, like Don uh, the Wall Market music and stuff. Yeah, like it's they really nail whatever. Costa del Sol. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not God Saucer. Real. Yeah, some of real it's like of some of it's melancholy. And some <laughs> of it's like quite reassuring when you get to Costa del Sol. That music soothes you after a really intense bit on a boat. It's like I do like that they just uh, the audacity of just calling that Costa del Sol. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you know, it's just like <laughs> yeah, they could just call it the, the beaches of Weymouth or something. <laughs> um, um, no, I, I can. Yeah. Uh, the Civ games have always had good backing music. Yeah, actually. they do yeah. really well. Like yeah. Yeah, so, Civ Two has one that's buried in my brain forever for sure. Weed through the eras of history um, I think a good sign of a good soundtrack is if I listen to it outside of the game and I think the Fez soundtrack by Disaster yes. Piece I listen to it and I'm writing all the time it's this beautiful like uh, Vangelis via chip tune the two, thing. two remix albums for that are fantastic yeah, side, well. side F and yeah. side is that the same whatever. chap who did Hyper Light Drifter yeah Disaster, Disaster. Yeah, oh, Rich yeah, yeah, yeah. he did It Follows as well that horror film mm. he did soundtrack oh, okay, for that interesting. and yep. the, yeah, the one I've been listening to quite a bit is Oxenfree's soundtrack. I can't remember who did that. It was yeah, that's good. One of those other well-known yeah sort of chip tuney type artists, but it's a nice. Was it Jim Guthrie? Ni- no, it wasn't Jim Guthrie. Although no. I do love his Sword and Sorcery soundtrack, yeah. and um, he's on the Fez remix album as well. And he did the soundtrack to Indie Game the movie. With oh. 
FCL's got some lovely music too. I know I know some people are, are probably up had enough of like chip tune music, but like it's uh, so well done that you uh, you know you can't help but find that quite. It's, it it does so much of the world building for that game as well, yeah. um, which is an important. Oh, I also really love Half Life Two soundtrack. Like I don't often remember FPS soundtracks really stick with me because a lot of times it's just very generic military militaristic kind of dirges mm. um, or shite rock. Uh, whereas, like, there's a very kind of weird alien electronica that goes through all of Half Life, and it only usually kicks in during action scenes, and it really highlights some of the set pieces in very mm. memorable ways. Lots of like brooding synthesizers and stuff. Definitely, and then almost like seventies esque music. But then there's also some really like terrible like techno music. It's a bit when you're on the beach, um, throwing your um, ant balls, and it's like really cheesy techno playing. You're like, come yeah. on, what, what happened there? That's perfect. That's exactly. <laughs> that's exactly the sounds I want. Uh, this and, is uh, sorry. This isn't quite the an example, but like the way that music combines with uh, sound design in Far Cry Primal is really impressing me at the moment. Like, really. Yeah, you'll sometimes just hear like noises off in the distance of like, you know, things that you feel like you don't understand, like creatures that you know may be extinct. And it it really feels like quite a, a wild, uh, a wild world. Yeah, the bird like, calls of like birds that haven't have long gone. Yeah, kind of sells the 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 fact it, that it's ten thousand years BC. It's very it's very effective for sure. Um, yeah, uh, but I guess that doesn't quite count. But and uh, another one I listen to quite a lot. Outside of playing the game of Silent Hill 2, Akira Yamaoka's you soundtrack. Would, wouldn't you? No, that's Resi, one of, you cannot listen to that outside of the game. That no. will give you a panic. Well, attack. that's the thing. There's that half of the yeah, soundtrack is like really. That's the, that's the benefit for Andy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's well, really ha- getting to my abyss staring state. Yeah, I I, I, I say I listen to outside of the work is, is outside of the game. There's like half of the tracks are like really intense industrial Trent Reznor-esque panic music, but the other half is just like beautifully ambient. Um, you know, almost Angelo Badalamenti esque kind of subdued emotional kind of music, whereas half of it just makes you feel like you want to run out and and, well, and, and the traffic to it, escape it. His music is very melodic, you know. Like uh, if you listen to like Theme of Laura uh, from Sun Hill too, like yeah. he, he clearly uh, has you know quite a lot of strings to his yeah, bow when it comes to yeah, that stuff's really style. good. Yeah, like his themes are really good, but then buried between the themes and the panic music is all these really beautiful. There's one called Forest and there's one called White Noise mm. that you should listen to on YouTube. To get an idea about the really beautiful ambient pieces, he, yeah, he, he's, he creates a rich tapestry of sound. That guy, Resi Ford's got. Some I like how too. you you pulled the sort of expression that said, "I know I'm about to say something that will make me sound like a wanker." As yeah. I, I, th- I think it's true though. He creates a rich tapestry of sound. Oh, okay, and you it's can quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent Put stuff. Put that on the box. Oh, okay, well that wraps up our latest episode of the PC Gamer podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you want to send us some questions, it's pcgamer at futurenet.com or you can tweet uh, one of our individual uh, Twitter accounts. Mine is Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Angus? At Reroll Gaming. At Octader, O-C-T-A-E-D-E-R. At Ultra Brilliant. Yes, please let us know what you think of the podcast, things we should be doing, things we shouldn't be doing. Uh, and uh, yes, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes if you've enjoyed the podcast. If not, you don't have to. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't, please don't. <laughs> and uh, yes, we'll see you next time. <laughs>